The primary reason that we communicate our values here at Word of Grace and the reason we've been going through this series is because we believe that it brings alignment in our church family. It helps us to navigate future decisions and future direction, and it also strengthens unity within the body of Christ and in the life of this congregation. And if we're going to be believers who gather together as Word of Grace, we must know what is important and why it's important. And this is really true whether you're in the building today, whether you're maybe in the commons area, whether you're watching online, or whether perhaps you're in the jail and you're joining us there. You need to know what is important, why we keep Jesus at the center, why we're willing to give up what we believe for the truth, why we prioritize prayer, why we value doing life together, why we understand that we are contributors, not consumers, and then today's value that we're going to talk about is we are people first because we want people to know that they are valued by God. If you have your Bible today, why don't you go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to read the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to read a good portion of Scripture today. Second Corinthians 5, we're going to start in verse 14, and we're going to read through verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 says this, For the love of Christ controls us. We could stop right there and just like Amen. camp out and spend all day. But let's keep reading. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation." That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. One of the very first things we read, the love of God controls us. You see, the love of Christ controls a life that is surrendered to him. 
Paul uses this kind of language here, and then he uses the same type of language all throughout other places that he's written to the church. He uses the same kind of language in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, where he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, in light of the mercies of God. He's making this, this, this comparison to our devotion, our commitment, our zeal, our passion, our love for God in contrast to what he's done. And he says, in light of the mercies of God, wouldn't it make sense out of a response that we just live this certain type of way as our lives become that living sacrifice? In 1 Corinthians 6 and 20, he reiterates the same idea where he says we were bought with a price. Don't you know you were bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus, that your life is not your own. This is not your deal where you get to run the show and say, I want things this way. No, it's God, what do you want? What pleases you? What glorifies you? What honors you? And then in the same way, in the same tone, I believe Paul is communicating in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians and verse 14, the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded something. We've concluded that, that, that we're dead to ourselves, that when Christ died, man, we're all, we're all dead, and the only thing good in me, the only thing raised to life in me is the goodness of Christ that now dwells and lives within me, that has made me new. I'm a, I'm a new creation. Old things have passed away, and all things have become new. We like that verbiage, and we, and we like that scripture when it comes to the thoughts of all the bad things that we've done in our past, and all the bad experiences, and all the shameful things that we've had happen. We're like, yes, I'm, I'm a new person in Christ, and yes, that is so true, and that is so valuable in the life of a believer, but guess what? Also, all of your accomplishments, all the things that you were proud of, all of the things that you were like, I'm good because I've done this or haven't done this. All of that is in the past because now all that matters is Christ. All that matters is Christ. So the love of Christ, my response, my, 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 my being in awe of what he has done has changed me and challenged me in such a way that, man, I have surrendered everything to him. And I am saying, Lord, not my will, not my way, but your way. The love of Christ will control a life that truly is surrendered to him, a life that recognizes that we are not our own. And the love of Christ controlling our lives, it changes the way we treat other people. It changes what we value. It changes what matters to us because now it no longer becomes about this individualized, me-first mentality, but rather it becomes about a heart that is controlled and driven by love. Paul also writes in 1 Corinthians 13 in regard to the gifts of the Spirit as he's trying to help the church to understand it's not about you all trying to be more spiritual than one another because this one has this gift or this one does this or this one operates this way as directed and led by the Holy Spirit. But he actually centers all of those gifts and all of that stuff in 1 Corinthians 13 by saying that love really matters most. It doesn't matter if you speak with tongues of angels. If you don't have love, you're just making a bunch of noise. It doesn't matter if you sell everything you have and give it to the poor. If you don't have love, you're missing the mark. And see, Paul is writing this to help ground us in the love of Christ, to help us to understand the filter, the premise, the base, the foundation for which all of the actions and the way that we interact with one another, the way we treat one another, the way we live our lives, the way that we order our priorities, and the way that we engage and interact, because this is the calling card. 
Jesus said, this is how all men are going to know that you're my disciples, because you have love for one another. Not because you have a church affiliation, not because your car is parked outside of a building, not because of your uh, WWJD bracelets, not because of your fun uh, phrased Christian t-shirts. One of my favorites when I was a youth pastor was um, Mountain Dew. It looked like Mountain Dew because that was my favorite drink back in the day, except it said Jesus died for you. (laughs) See what they did there? Mountain Dew, Jesus died. Okay. All right. (laughs) It doesn't matter what shirt you wear. It doesn't matter what tattoo you have. It doesn't matter what bracelet you wear. It doesn't matter how many religious objects are in your home. That's not the calling card. That's not how people are going to know that you follow Jesus. The way people are going to know you're legit, the way people are going to know you're real, you're authentic, is by the way that you love others. He said, by this, all men are going to know you're my disciples. So the love of Christ should control a life that is truly surrendered to him. It's a response. It's a reaction. And so as I evaluate my life, and as I evaluate the way that I think towards others, as I evaluate the way that I think and act and behave towards other people, especially those in which I disagree with, or there may be some tension or friction existing in those relationships, the evaluation should be, Have I surrendered my life to the love of Christ in a way that his love is controlling me? That even though it may be counterintuitive, even though it may not be the natural thing I want to do, because naturally I want the thing I think I deserve and the thing I think I'm entitled to. That's that's the natural thing that I want. The the, the counter uh, to that and and the thing that goes against the grain that, that is counterintuitive for humanity is to live selfless, is to think and consider others, is to love other people no matter how they may treat me, view me, talk about me, react to me, respond to me. And that love of Christ is supposed to control my life, but only when my life is truly surrendered to Him. We're really good at wanting to be good receivers of all the good things that God has for us. And we, we write books about it. Uh, we, 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 we sing songs about it. Oh, God, all the good things. I want all the good things. And that's great. God wants to bless you with good things, but not just so you can tank up on good things. You see, God is, is glorified when, yes, He does good things in our lives, but when those good things pass through us and are passed on to other people the way we treat them, the way we love them. We all want to get forgiveness, right? That's a good one. Like, uh, that's a good blessing from the Lord. Wouldn't you agree? Amen? Forgiveness, Woohoo! I want in. But we really stink at giving it to others. Love and acceptance, yeah, yeah, I want that from God. I'm love and acceptance. I'm a child of God. I am a child of God. <laughs> but I don't want to sit by that person, um, you know, in the lunchroom at work, or I hope my neighbor doesn't see me so I don't have to look at them and talk to them. Or I don't want to deal with that issue between my spouse and I. Or I don't want to work on reconciliation in this area. But no, I want, re- I want to receive. I want to receive. We have to get out of this selfish, individualized mentality that this whole thing is about us and for us. You see, God sees much bigger than you and I see. And when our lives are controlled by His love, It helps us to have a different set of lenses where we look through the world, where we look at other people, where we see people first, and we don't necessarily see all of the junk because we remember that's a person there. 
We remember that's someone Jesus died for. We remember Jesus died for us. And that changes, it tempers the way that we engage and the way that we interact and the way that we value other people. A church that values people first means that they have recognized their responsibility to be representatives of Christ and to treat others with the same love that Christ has shown them. And they take that very seriously. You see, Paul said this. He said, therefore, in light of all this stuff that we read, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are representing Christ. Oh, man, we go, woohoo, praise God. Or we go, oh, geez, I'm representing Christ. If I claim to be a follower of Jesus, I have a responsibility. And if I have a responsibility, and this deal doesn't come prepackaged, and I don't come out the gates and, and, and just start off doing this thing perfectly, which none of us do, then what does that mean? It means we all need to grow. You need to grow. I need to grow. We all need to be sharpened. We all need to be spurred on to good works. We all need to learn. That's what we're here doing. We're here being exhorted, encouraged, challenged, confronted with truth. So there, we will evaluate our lives in light of that truth and be willing to give up our bad patterns of behavior and surrender those things and give up our poor patterns of thinking and surrender those things and renew our minds and hold one another accountable and lift one another up and to challenge one another and to speak truth and love to one another so that we will be a people who are surrendered to Christ and are growing in understanding how to live that out. This journey, this process of sanctification. You see, I am justified positionally because of what Christ has done on the cross, but I'm learning how to work and walk this thing out with much fear and trembling, just like you. And so each one of us has room to grow. None of us are at the pinnacle. None of us are at the apex. None of us have arrived. Not me, not you, not your favorite Bible teacher, not the author of the, the New York Times best-selling book, not the pastor with the largest church. No one has hit this thing to where they've got it all right. Every one of us have room to grow in this thing called love. And I want Word of Grace to be the type of church that values people first because they recognize their responsibility to love other people and they recognize their responsibility as ambassadors for Christ. And that they're not thinking about themselves first. That they're not thinking about oh, all of the rules first, or all of the things we have to do and the way we have to do it first. No, instead we think about the things that Christ thought about as the things that moved his heart, the things that caused him to weep. As he looked out over the city, Jesus wept over the city. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He cared about them. He loved them. And he knew that even though he was going to pay this great price for them, they would still reject him. There would be people who would still despise them, people who wouldn't cherish and value the free gift that he was about to bestow upon them. He saw that, and yet he still went through with it anyways. Why? For God so loved the world, right? Love said, yes, I'm going to go through with this. Love said, it's worth it. Love said, I want my glory to be shown and the door and the gateway to be opened because he loved people for God so loved the world. And we need to be that type of church to represent Christ, to treat others with the same kind of love 
that Christ has shown us, not just being good receivers, but also being good givers of what Christ has done in us, what he's given us. Because living as an ambassador for Christ is a responsibility we take seriously. It's something we should take very seriously. We're ambassadors of Christ's love and his mission to the world. And that mission is one that loves people, that shares with them the hope of the gospel, that shares with them the truth about Christ and serves them by showing them a tangible expression of the heart of God. You and I are are a tangible expression of the love of God to other people. Let's go over and and, and see how Scripture helps us to, to understand this concept in 1 John chapter 4. Not the, the big John, not the gospel of John, but, but 1 John chapter 4. They're closer to the back, so I'll give you a second to get there. Um, if the person who has the same Bible as me, like last time that I taught, it's page 1023. Um, <laughs> that was hilarious, by the way. Um, 1 John chapter 4. I want to give you a second to get there. Because I want you to see this. I want you to read this. I don't want you to just hear me say it. And something else, while you're turning there, just a little side note, a little extra for free, you know, sermonette um, that I'll piggyback onto this. As I was reading over my sermon notes this morning, I do this every Sunday morning, I will go into my office and I'll just kind of, you know, get my heart set on what I need to do, spend some time in prayer, read over the notes. And I always go through and read the scriptures that I'm going to share with our church family. And as I was doing that this morning, I caught myself doing something I do often, and I know you probably do it too. And so uh, I, I just, I, I was reading through it, and I was going, yeah, reading, yep, 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 and I said, whoa, wait a minute, what am I doing? I'm just like glazing over this thing just to make sure I got all my notes, got everything in order. I stopped, I had to stop, go back, and read and slow down and read the text and absorb what it was saying because I was only catching maybe every probably sixth or seventh word as I was just scanning. Do you ever do that? I I was doing that just this morning and I had to stop myself and say, no, do I understand at 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 least a basic level this concept of what I just read or am I just scanning over something so I can go, yeah, I did the thing I was supposed to do. I know a lot of you are reading the Bible through in a year. I think that's awesome. Don't just scan through it to check the box. Stop. Slow down. If it's too much for you to read in a day, slow down. Maybe it takes you two or three years to get through the Bible. Maybe you don't crunch it out in a year. That's okay. Because don't you think God would be more glorified if you understood it, slowed down, and meditated on it rather than you checked some box? God's not going, man, you made it. A full year, a full rotation. <laughs> yeah, good job. You, you, you looked at all those words. No. Can we slow down and read the text? That's for free. All right. First <laughs> John 4 and 7. And I say that because, I, it's, listen, it, it, especially when it's familiar, right? Isn't that, isn't that so, isn't that the tendency? Oh, Psalm 23, John 3, 16, first three chapters of Genesis, because that's about how long a lot of people last when they try to read the Bible. (laughs) Oh, yeah, start reading the Bible, Genesis 3, Genesis 4, what? (laughs) You know, so, (laughs) 
I looked at those words today, had no idea what that meant. Let's slow down, let's read this. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. We're going to read through verse 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. And if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. We say we love God, but we can't see God. But who can we see? I can see you. You can see me. Let me tell you something. This idea works both ways. When it comes to us saying, we love God, we love you, Lord, we sing songs about it. But then when it comes to interacting with other people who we can see, if we don't show them love, then are we legit? Are we authentic? Are, are we real? And the same goes for when it comes to showing people a tangible expression of the love of God. Because if our hearts have been so filled with the truth of His love and He is abiding in us, then that love is abiding in us. It's abiding in you. It's abiding in me. And we, therefore, as representatives, as ambassadors, have a responsibility in the way that we treat other people, in the way that we show them value, because it's a tangible expression of the love of God, whom they can't see and who they don't even know. And God can use you and me as a powerful expression of His love, because the love of God has been shed abroad in our heart. And we become a part of the body of Christ where we're serving, where we're giving, where we're loving, where we're forgiving, where we're speaking truth, where we're walking with people, 
where we're willing to go through difficulties with other people, where we're willing to encourage one another. It's easy for me to encourage and cheer on and champion people I like. I mean, anybody can do that. You don't even have to be a Christian to do that. What's the difference then? The difference is supposed to be Christ. And is Christ making that difference in you? I want us to evaluate ourselves and ask ourselves, is Christ making that difference in me? Have I gotten stagnant in that area? Have I, have I kind of put my responsibility to love others on the shelf because I thought, you know, I got that down? Let me tell you something. Anything you put on the shelf will collect dust. I don't care what it is. Anything you put on the shelf that you do not use, it doesn't matter. You could put the freshest batteries in something, but if you don't use it, over time, those batteries are going to weaken, and you're going to pick it up when you think you need it, and you're going to think it's ready to go, and it's not ready to go because it's been just sitting there, and it's not been used. Maybe today, your challenge and the thing you're being confronted with by the Holy Spirit and the truth of the Word would be to ask yourself, is is the love of God controlling me in such a way where he's, he's abiding in me in such a way where I'm, I'm actively growing and being challenged and being changed to become more and more like Christ in the way that I treat other people and the way that I think instead of rushing to judgment, instead of rushing to division, instead of rushing to anger, instead of rushing to uh, want to see my brand of justice exacted on those in whom I disagree with and championing the fall of my enemies, but rather, do I have compassion on them? Does my heart break for them? Do I pray for them? I spent some time with some uh, family this past couple of weeks as we went on vacation, and I was talking to my father-in-law, and he was letting me know that he's been spending time with a certain individual uh, a lot lately. And when he told me they'd been spending time with this person, I was like, really? <laughs> I didn't know you, uh, you got along with him. Uh, I thought you guys always kind of butted heads a little bit. And he's like, yeah, we have for most of our lives. And he said, but uh, I started praying for him. He said, when I started praying for him, something happened. He said, you can pray for anybody and not be sincere, and it's not going to change you or them or the situation. He said, but I started sincerely praying for this person that I had not gotten along with and just didn't really want to have a whole lot to do with. He said, and now... He said, I have a big heart for him. He said, and God did that. Oh, because I just started praying for him. Because I started loving him. Because I started thinking about others first. Because I started thinking about people. Because I started thinking, man, God cares about this person in this situation. And now what? look what God did. You thought you were praying that that person's situation would change and God ended up changing you. Have you ever had that happen before? You thought you were doing something for someone else and God ends up just doing something in you and you're like, oh, I didn't know that's what this was about. I thought I was helping you out, God, and no, really, God was just teaching me something and changing me and growing me and maturing me. You see, when I take this responsibility seriously, it should cause me to evaluate. And I believe that we have a church full of people who are taking their faith very seriously. 
I don't doubt that. I believe we have a congregation full of people who want to grow in the Word, who want to grow in faith and practice, who want to grow in Christ-centered community, who want to grow in loving one another, who want to grow in understanding the Scripture and applying it to their lives and living their lives for the glory of God and living that life that is just wrapped up in having their identity in Christ. Listen to me, folks. For us to be that church, for us to be those people, we have to take our responsibility to be an ambassador of Christ seriously. Who can we see? We can see other people. So if we say we love God, then what are other people seeing? How are they seeing us conduct ourselves? This is an election year. Oh yeah, that's right. I'm going there. Do you know that God loves Republicans and Democrats and Libertarians and everyone in between? Do you know that Jesus died for the terrorists? Do you know that? Do you know that Jesus died for the murderers? Do you know that Jesus died for the worst of the worst that humanity would want to disregard and throw away? Do you know Jesus died for them? And do you know that without Christ as our hope and faith in Christ that all of us are hopeless no matter how well we behave in this temporal life on this planet. You know that we all are in the same boat and hopeless without Christ. Do you know that Christ is the answer for everyone? Do you believe that? You see, I don't have to agree with everyone. And I don't have to accept everything and normalize everything. That's not what I'm suggesting. But how am I presenting Christ to others by the way that I engage and interact and think about and pray for and care about those in whom I disagree? Those that we see things differently and maybe even those who are not living according to biblical standards. How do I interact with them? How do I engage them? How do I treat them? How am I showing Christ to them? How am I presenting Christ? Am I seeing the differences that I have with them first? Or am I seeing people first? Am I seeing a person in whom Jesus loves and died for first? What about people of different race? What about people of different skin tone, different ethnic backgrounds? What about someone who chooses to live in sin? Something that the Bible clearly says is sin. What about someone who's an addict? What about someone who has a checkered past, who maybe has a reputation around town? Do you see the sin first, or do you see the person first? Let me ask this question. Which one do you think Jesus sees first? Do you think Jesus looks at the sin first? Do you think he looks at the difference first? Do you think that's where he starts, or does he see the person first? Well, guess what? There just happens to be a few stories in Scripture that lets us know how Jesus sees people and what he looks at first. So let's go over to John chapter 8. What does Jesus see first? John chapter 8. And verse 1. John chapter 8 and verse 1. They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. 
the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. But Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground, and they continued to ask him. He stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. The accusers wanted Jesus to see the sin first. The accusers wanted to see their version of justice first. The accusers wanted to see this person just to be cast away from society, to be put to death. The accusers wanted Jesus to see her as an adulterer. But Jesus didn't see her as an adulteress. He saw her as a wounded person, saw her as a person who needed hope, saw her as a person who needed compassion, saw her as a person who needed forgiveness and a person who needed love. And Jesus had the ability in that moment to give her what she needed because he loved her right where she was. And he confronted the others with their own sin and made them evaluate and think about their own lives in contrast to this lady. And Jesus said, I don't condemn you, but I'm going to give you truth. Go and sin no more. He didn't validate the sin. He didn't say it was okay. He didn't passively deal with it. He dealt with both the sin and he dealt with giving this woman value and love right in that moment. How beautifully balanced is Christ. A lot of us would have said, go and sin no more, and then I won't condemn you. We would have gotten it backwards. We want to deal with the thing we don't like about the person in which we disagree or the person who may be in sin, and we want to fix that first, and then we'll accept you, then we'll love you. You get all this figured out. Jesus said, no, I'm not condemning you. Now go and sin no more. Jesus showed us something different. You see, if, if this woman would have come and repented, if this woman would have went through all of the ceremonial things that the Pharisees wanted her to go through, they would have at some level perhaps accepted her if she had performed just right, if she had done all of the steps just right. Then they would have been okay with her and she wouldn't have been thrown in front of Jesus. But Jesus flipped the script on him. He treated her with love first. He showed her compassion first. And he spoke truth to her. He didn't neglect that part. But yet, how much did he love this lady? How much of an example is this for you and I who are supposed to be abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in us? 
as we love those whom we disagree with. Listen, I know social media has given you a platform to share your opinions and your thoughts, but it doesn't mean that the world needs to hear everything you think. Because some of the things we think are not very Christ-like. And the internet has given us the opportunity to go and share our thoughts and our opinions and our feelings about things that are they pushing people towards or away from Christ? Are we loving people with the way that we're portraying Christ to them? If someone were to stumble upon your Facebook page, your Instagram account, your Twitter feed, your blog, would, would they see the love of Christ? Would they see someone who values people or someone who really, really values them feeling like they're right and accumulating people who also like to be right? So we can all be right together while pushing everyone else away? Or are we showing people love and truth? Are, are, are we balanced in that approach? And are we loving them and seeing people first? You see, we think that just because something is true, if we can just shove it down someone's throat, if we can just punch them in the face with it, if we can just plaster it all over their walls, if we can just get them to say the right things and do the right things, then we think that equals some sort of transformation. That's not what does it, folks. It's a heart issue. And so I have to connect with someone at the heart issue. So I have to love them like Jesus loved them. I don't always like that because I'm, I'm like you. I like being right. It's awesome <laughs> when I win an argument. It's awesome when I know that I'm right about something and I know you're wrong about something. I, it's, it's so so fulfilling and feeding and pleasing to my flesh when I can argue a point and know that I'm right. It's just a matter of time till you see that I'm right. <laughs> but just because that feels awesome, does it make that okay? Is that how Jesus interacted with people? You see, Jesus didn't go around just throwing out, hey, I'm truth, I know truth, and all you guys are stupid, and I'm the smartest. No, Jesus loved people right where they were. He was patient with them because love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not insist on its own way. You see, we want people to know they are valued by God by the way we treat them. And as we have this value as a church where we say that... Uh, we are people first. This is what we mean because we want people to know they're valued by God, by the way that we treat them. So if you are in the jail and upon your release, you choose to come here to this building and worship with us, I want you to know that you are welcome. If you are a person who is struggling with addiction and chains and shame and baggage, I want you to know that we love you, that you matter, that you're not alone, and you don't have to walk through these challenges and these struggles alone. I want you to feel that. So church, we need to grow. We need to grow in making ourselves uncomfortable to extend kindness and a welcome to others like never before. More people are interested in Word of Grace than ever before, at least in my eight years of being your pastor. 
I think that's great. That's exciting to me. I think it's great that we have so many people interested in connecting and wanting to learn more about what God's doing here at Word of Grace. But how we treat them, how we engage them, how we welcome them and connect with them will play a big part in whether or not they stay. It plays a big part. And that is our responsibility. Amen? That is my responsibility, yes, as the pastor, but it is all of our responsibility because we're all in this thing together. That's why we are people first. So it's time to step up our, our game when it comes to engagement on having meaningful conversations with other people who are a part of our church family when we gather to worship, either uh, at a service or an event or just connecting throughout the week in a community group where we take a genuine interest, when we take genuine, listen to me, genuine interest and care in what others are going through and what's going on in their lives and just getting to know them and listening to their story. You're probably sitting really close to someone who you don't even know their name. I want to encourage you to change that before you leave this building today. Maybe there's someone that you've been seeing and you've said hello to and maybe you've even bumped into each other getting a cup of coffee on Sunday morning. Oh, hey, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> hey, guy? <laughs> hey, lady? <laughs> Good to see you, pal. But what if you knew their name? Instead of just saying hello and just going, oh, I was friendly today. And how about giving your name to them? we got to step up our game. We're, if we're going to be people first, we're going to love people. Yeah, it, it, it's going to be about loving those who are different than us, but what about loving each other who are just gathered here as a church family too? I think we need to grow in that as well. Man, the Bible says, or Jesus said, we were going to be known for the way we loved each other. The way we love each other, right? I mean, yeah, it's going to be a calling card to the world when we, when we love them. But Jesus said, love each other. This is the calling card, the way we treat each other, the way we care about each other. So maybe today is the day from this day forward where you step up and maybe you take somebody out for coffee this week. Maybe you sit by someone new that you've never met. Maybe you say hello to someone and introduce yourself. Give them your name. Share it with them. Uh, here, let, let, let me uh, give, you, give you a topic, all right, <clears throat> to discuss. Uh, you, you could talk about how you discovered Word of Grace. What, what, how did you guys find the church? How long have you been coming? How long have you lived in the area? Anything. Just be friendly to people and let them know you care. Stretching beyond what is comfortable. Joining Team Wog, getting connected, serving with other people on a team in Christ-centered community where you're making an impact together, where all of you are accomplishing a goal and are a part of a team that's doing something that's a part of this local body that matters in light of eternity. Getting connected in a community group where you go deeper in relationship and people can be vulnerable and authentic and real and connect at a deep level and do life together. Make yourself more available by playing your part and increasing in real, authentic connections beyond our church gatherings even. Maybe 
at work, maybe in your neighborhood, maybe even on social media, whatever it is. We need to take that responsibility for being an ambassador for Christ seriously, to step up our game, to let people know that they matter to God, that they are valued by God. And, and listen to me, just like what we read in 1 John chapter 4, how can we say that we love God whom we haven't seen, and yet we're not loving our brother who we can see? He said if we say that, we're lying. And so how can we say in a core value statement as a church that we're people first and we want them to know that they're valued by God and we tell them God loves you, God values you, but do they feel that from you? If we're not helping people to see that, realize that, and feel that from us, then I would submit to you that we're not truly living out those values and that we're fooling ourselves because we're just saying it and not living it out. I don't want us to be hypocritical. So that means we all need to grow. We all need to do some soul searching. We all need to evaluate because we want people to know that they are valued. We want them to know that they matter to God. And the way they know that they matter to God, especially those who don't even know God, by the way that the love of God abides in us and the way that we treat them and engage them, and we are taking responsibility as ambassadors very seriously. Let's pray. Lord, help us do this because we we can't do this in our own strength. We need you, Holy Spirit, to bring these words, your words, to our remembrance and to challenge us and to keep these things in front of us to help our hearts to, to, to be tempered by your word and by your spirit in us to help us to see what matters, to help us to prioritize things that will impact eternity and things that will glorify God. We can only do this with your strength. We can only do this with your truth actively at work in our hearts. So let us blow the, the dust off of the things that have been sitting on the shelf that we have just set aside because perhaps we've become selfish or we've become self-centered or we've just gotten blinders on our eyes and we're missing what's important to heaven. So forgive us for those things, Lord. We just want to corporately repent and ask you today to help us Help us to see our need. Help us, to, help us to see your great love for us and be controlled by your love to where your love moves us in every single way and changes us and conforms us more and more each day to be more and more like Christ, to love with the love of Christ, to show others value, to show them that they matter to you and may it bring you glory. And may people come to Christ and may the kingdom of God be expanded and may the gospel go forth by the way we treat other people, by the way we give them value. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand? Before you go today, I want to encourage you, if you're interested in uh, learning more about Word of Grace, today's an awesome class to be able to do that. We have class two of the next move. I want to encourage you to jump in there at 1215. 
um, just to be able to learn about what we believe. It's going to be an incredible class. Pastor Stephen teaches that. He does a phenomenal job. I say this. It's honestly, it is, and I'm a little biased about this class, but Pastor Stephen's class is my favorite class of the next move because I've had to teach it several times, and every time I want to get saved all over again when I teach that class because he does such a wonderful job. Um, so I would encourage you to go through the next move today. If you have not done that, don't forget about child dedication next week. Um, just so good to be with you all today. Be careful on the roads out there. It has been snowing, um, but uh, we just want to be here for you. Love you. Meet somebody um, that maybe you haven't uh, met before before you leave. But before you go, number 6 and 24 says, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon each and every one of you and give you his peace. God bless your word of grace. You're dismissed.